Thank you, Paul, for selecting those songs. I want to express my deepest appreciation to the elders here for affording me this opportunity of preaching this morning. Linda and I feel so blessed to be a part of this congregation for a number of reasons. We have worked and worshiped with several of you before we came here, and it's good to work and worship with you again. At the same time, getting to know the rest of you, we are enjoying that very much. This is a congregation with a tremendous amount of talent. It's also served by four godly men. And you know, there's just a whole lot of people here who obviously love the Lord. It's a great congregation. And I think we all feel very blessed to be a part of it. I know you are. There is one thing we have noted, though. Some of you speak just a little bit differently. Just a little bit. And I didn't say that it's wrong. It's just a little different. Case in point, after we'd been here for a short time, a very sweet lady came up to us, put out her hand, and she said, Hi, my name is Moppet. And I said, Moppet? Would you spell that for me? And she looked at me as if I had asked her to spell Jill. And she began, M-A-R-T-H-A, Moffitt. <laughs> so if you haven't yet met Moffitt, be sure and meet her, sweet lady. Seriously this morning, I'd like to talk to us for a few moments about God's promises respecting the life to come. With an audience such as this this morning, you obviously know the promises. I'm not telling you anything new. In fact, if it were new, it would not be the gospel. But my intent, my purpose this morning, is to try to instill within us perhaps a deeper appreciation for these promises that are laid out for us in Scripture. Consider with me again the text. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a great hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. If I were to ask us this morning, why are we here this morning? Somebody might respond to worship God. And of course, you would be absolutely correct in that. We're here to worship God. But more precisely, we are here because of the promises of God. We have been born again. We have taken advantage of this time to worship as we do every Lord's Day. And it's all because of the promises of God. Because I want you to think for a moment. If the words of our text 
were just mere idle words, we would never have obeyed the gospel. But they're not idle words. They are from the pen of an inspired apostle. Words given to him by the Holy Spirit who has in turn revealed a portion of the mind of God to us. And throughout the scriptures, there are very godly people who believed very strongly in these promises. One of them was Stephen. In Acts the seventh chapter, Stephen is about to be stoned to death. We're going to pick up the reading at verse 54. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at it. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What amazes me in this text is that Stephen basically just removes himself from this whole incident. Here's a man who knows that he only has literally minutes to live. And I don't know about you, but I think I would be thinking about that. But he just kind of removes himself from that situation. And he, it's almost like he's saying, wait a minute. Before you kill me, there's something I want to tell you. I'm seeing the Son of God, the Son of Man, standing at the right hand of God. He strongly believed in the promises of God. And of course, another one would be the Apostle Paul. In Acts 21st chapter, Paul had plans to travel to Jerusalem, but his disciples and some of the local residents were afraid of his life. And so, pick up reading here, it, Acts 21 and verse 12. And when we had heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. But what's, what's his response? Look at verse 13. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Eschatology, the study of events at the end of time, are very scarce, or the subject is very scarce in the Old Testament. But we have been blessed by the New Testament giving us more information regarding the promises of God. Such passages as Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. So for, for a few moments this morning, I'd like to talk to us remind us of the promise maker, who it is that's making these promises. Secondly, the living hope. Thirdly, what Peter has to say about the inheritance. But let's begin with who's making these promises. You know, this is very important because as Mark brought out in the class this morning, 
To have faith, we have to believe. Who's making these promises? There are those who have little credibility with us, or at least we question. Politicians, for example. They are a class of people who we sometimes have bad connotations about. Nothing wrong with being a politician, but unfortunately there are enough of them that do not keep their campaign promises, that out and out lie, that we have bad connotations. Lawyers, and let me hasten to say, being a lawyer is an honorable profession. I know that uh, Leah's uh, son out in California is a lawyer. And he wouldn't fall into, I'm sure, into the category of those who are not afraid to lie or stretch the truth. But again, there are enough of them that do that that sometimes we don't think as highly as lawyers as maybe we should. We all may need one sometime and they're gonna come in handy. But again, there are some who just do not honor the profession as they should. And this stretches into the religious segment as well. Televangelist, send me money and God's richest blessings will just flow upon you or come down upon you. God never promised that. Paul stated that there were a group of people in his day who were known to be liars. That's in Titus, the first chapter, and verse 12. And in Titus 1 and verse 12, Paul writes, one of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars and evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Some, perhaps with good intentions, promise the moon, as it were, but are unable to fulfill. Come to work for me, and I'll give you whatever you want. And you find that in a short time that he or she was not telling the truth, or either unable, maybe they had good intentions, but unable to fulfill. There are some whom we blindly believe without really checking their credentials. Unseen land schemes, for an example. My parents got caught up in that years ago. An investor told them, buy this land right out on the outskirts of Albuquerque, and this land is going to soon be developed. We're going to have uh, grocery stores. We're going to have shopping centers. We're going to have theaters. We're going to have restaurants. Oh, this land is going to go sky high in value, and you can get in the ground floor right now. Well, after my folks passed away, my brother and I ended up selling the land because we were paying taxes on the land, this undeveloped land still. I've said all of that to say this, that the God of heaven is believable. He's believable because he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. I really wanted these to come up one at a time. It did it at home, but it's not doing it here, but that's okay. You'll just be ahead of me a little bit, but that's okay. 
In Genesis, the 18th chapter, at verse 14, Sarah was told that she was going to have a child even in her older years. Remember, the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And then he follows up that question with this. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? If ever there was a rhetorical question, there's one. We talked about earlier, individuals who claim they can give the moon, so to speak. Well, our Lord can give the moon. He can do that. For not only did He create it, but according to Psalm 148 and verse 3, praise Him, sun and moon, praise Him, all stars of light. Why is God believable? Because He cannot lie. In Hebrews, the sixth chapter, in verse 18, it begins by saying, in order that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible, impossible for God to lie. It's just not in His nature. God can't lie. Let me ask you this. If you were thinking about going into business with a partner, and everything else being equal, you knew that this partner had never lied to you, that he or she had always kept their word. Would you be willing to go into business with them? I wouldn't have any hesitation. Why is God believable? He's not an idle talker. In Genesis 12, he said to Abraham that through his seed he would make a great nation and that all the nations of the earth would be blessed and that the nations that would bless them, they would be blessed. If they cursed his uh, family and his uh, people, they would be cursed. And also involved in that was a land promise. But what about that? Was that just idle talk? We don't have to guess about whether or not those promises came true or not. The Bible tells us in Joshua, the 21st chapter, in verse 43, So the Lord gave Israel all the land which He had sworn to give to their fathers, and they possessed it and lived in it. In the last verse of that chapter, not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed, all came to pass. So the modern day Middle East conflicts regarding land, and you hear somebody saying, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. No, it's not. Those prophecies were fulfilled centuries ago. Are Jews or anybody else today waiting for the Messiah to come? He's already come. Are premillennialists anticipating the Lord to come into this earth, uh, come back to the earth and set up His kingdom for a thousand years? It's here. Paul, writing to the Colossians, said in Colossians 1 and verse 13 that we've been transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son. 
past tense. I would suggest to us this morning that such beliefs are not a reflection upon God, but upon those who hold those beliefs. We need to believe in God. Trust Him. Hebrews 6, chapter and verse 18, that same passage, it tells us that God cannot lie. At the end of that verse, therefore, we may have strong encouragement. So let's move on from there to, secondly, the living hope. Peter refers to this hope as a living hope. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. While we await those promises, which which will be realized after this life, we can enjoy them right now. We don't have to wait. The Hebrews, the Hebrew writer told us that's what these men and women did in Hebrews 11. Look at Hebrews 11 and verse 13. The 11th chapter, verse 13, the writer says, All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Mark touched on this this morning in this class. Strong's exhaustive concordance says of hope, anticipation, usually with pleasure, with expectation, confidence. Mark gave an illustration this morning, another one. I might say, someday I hope to be a millionaire. That's just not likely going to happen. At my age, and probability of that happen or just nil or nothing. I don't even expect it. But that's not the way that the Bible uses the word hope. Connected with hope in the scriptures is expectation. Have you thought about the fact that beginning with the book of Acts, Practically every book thereafter has something to say about this hope. For the next moment or two, I'm going to do a quick run through some scriptures that talk about this hope. But please be advised, this is not at all an exhaustive list. This is just a sampling. Hebrews, or Romans 5 and verse 2. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. 
according to my earnest expectation hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything. But with all boldness, Christ shall even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. And then Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 15, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you, to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Are you impressed with the fact that the Holy Spirit must have thought that this hope is very important? And it is significant that this hope is referred to as a living hope. Meaning, of course, that it is vibrant, it's alive, it's not dead, it is very, very real. But now what about the inheritance that Peter mentions? To obtain, he says in verse 4, an inheritance. You know, of course, that heaven will exceed any earthly experience. I want you to do something for me right now. I want you, young and old, to think about some great accomplishment in your life. It might be a graduation. It might be a work project that you or maybe the team with which you were working with were just extremely proud of when you were done. It might be a trip, a memorable trip that you will never, ever forget. But while you're thinking about that, I do have the advantage over you because I get to tell you one of the highlights in my life. In 1981, Linda and I were able to go to the Bible lands as Shirty Dark and some others of you at the congregation have, have done. While in Jerusalem, I was asked to, to preach and I cannot tell you how thrilling that was to preach in the city where our Lord's church began. When we were in Greece, I was asked to preach when we were on Mars Hill. Again, the thrill. As I was standing there preaching, I could not help but think. By the way, I borrowed a sermon from a man by the name of Paul from Acts, the 17th chapter. But I was thinking about, I'm wondering if I'm having the same view that Paul did. To my left was the Parthenon, down below, where the stoa or the, the uh, marketplaces in ruins from the first century. What a thrill. I'm a little slow. I, it was just a few years back that I thought about I, I, I went back and thought about, why me? Why was I asked to preach? There were at least three capable preachers in the group. Why me both times? And the only thing that I can come up with I was 33 at the time, and the other man just wanted me to experience that thrill. <clears throat> Mission accomplished. I'll never forget it. Never. Back in Jerusalem, walking out of the Garden of Gethsemane, coming up to the steps that have now been uncovered to Caiaphas' house. 
Yes, I know. When you're over there, you have to take with a grain of salt much of what, uh, or at least some of what the guides say. They'll tell you the Lord walked right here. Well, he may or may not. But as far as I know, there's no dispute as far as these steps are concerned. They're authentic. They're, again, just right outside of the garden. What a thrill to look down and have a pretty good idea that you're seeing just about where the Lord walked. What a thrill. Now, I've said all of that to say this. Whatever in the meantime you have conjured up in your mind about some great accomplishment that you, or highlight that you've had in your life, yours and mine pale alongside of what heaven's going to be like. And we're going to try to describe some of that in a few moments. Consider the promises and the blessings that our frail mortal bodies are going to be changed as Ray earlier said in 1 John 3 and verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet that we shall be. We know that when He appears we shall be, listen, just like Him. The associations the likes of people like Noah. I don't know what we'll be talking about in heaven, but I'm wondering if we might have questions, Noah. How did you do it? How did you build that ark with the tools that you had available at the time? Or Moses, how could you be so patient with a, such a complaining group of people? Job, I've had trials in my life, but just mentioning them by you, I'm embarrassed. I am embarrassed. My trials just pale alongside your, side of yours. And to meet Lois and Eunice, who were instrumental in helping Timothy be, become the man and evangelist that he becomes. Not to mention our loved ones who have died in the Lord to be with them. And deity, and the heavenly host. <coughs> I'm reminded of a movie that some of you may have seen. I warn you, you'll have to be a little old to have seen it. 1984, a movie called Places in the Heart. Sally Field starred in it, one of the stars. Throughout the movie, Several of the characters die, and mostly, most of them, unjustly. One of the final scenes of the movie is Sally Field is sitting, her character is sitting in a church building, and the communion is being passed. You see Sally Field, and you see people next to her, but the people next to her, the camera is not showing their faces, just neck down. Then the camera pans out. And then you see the left and the right of her, these characters who had died in the movie. Now, I know that that's a very crude illustration. But for those of our loved ones who have died in the Lord, 
We will be with them again. The singing, I cannot tell you because I do not know. You don't either. What songs will be singing in heaven? But I can tell you and stand before you this morning and tell you what songs will not be sung in heaven. Angry words, oh, let them never. There will be no sin in heaven. In the hour of trial, there will be no more trials in heaven. Songs anticipating the Lord's coming? No. We will be with Him. We will be with the Lord personally. And any songs, for that matter, of heaven will be sung with an entirely different perspective than we sing here. And the surroundings? If I understand Revelation 21 correctly, description of heaven. And it we're told, walls of jasper, gates of pearl, streets of gold, and all of this illuminated by the glory of God. Obviously, our immortal bodies are not going to think about gold, those kind of precious things in heaven, as our mortal bodies do. But the point is, the Holy Spirit has selected terms, expressions, phrases that you and I can relate to. It's going to be beautiful. And if that's not enough, it's going to be eternal. Let me ask you this. What would you be willing for just a half a day? We're not even going to talk about a day. Just a half a day. With a body with no pain or imperfections. At which time you could have the association with any Bible character of your choosing. And in the background, the most inspiring and thrilling singing that you have ever heard, all set within the framework of the most beautiful place that you have ever visited. And I'm sorry, that's just as close as I can describe heaven. It's going to be much, much better than that. Now, just for the next few moments, and then the lesson will be ours. Consider the characteristics, what Peter has to say about the inheritance. To obtain an inheritance, he says. And he gives certain descriptions, which is imperishable. As we speak, and as Brad mentioned earlier, and it, Steve in the, his, in the prayer. The Carolinas are being pounded with rain. Storm is moving slowly, and they're experiencing flooding that is historic. No natural disaster to destroy this hope, though. Our willful human mistake, our willful calculation, such as a nuclear warhead to devastate it. It's imperishable. And Peter says, not only that, it's undefiled. In other words, no contaminants, no roses, as it were, with thorns. 
And he says, it will not fade away. The second law of thermodynamics tells us that the sun is losing its energy. I don't think that none of us this morning will have to worry about that in our lifetime. Besides, Peter tells us how the world is going to be destroyed, not going to be the sun running out. But no law set into motion that eventually would even eventually cause this inheritance to cease or to even fade away. Not going to happen. And this last one, I really love. Reserved in heaven. Reserved carries with it a connotation of privileged, special. When I was preaching for the congregation Studebaker Road in Long Beach, there was a member there, some of you will know who it is, uh, who I'm talking about, Doug Hall, who had some connections with the Angel baseball team. And whenever he would call Linda and me and say, would you like to go to the game tonight? If we didn't have something else already planned, we jumped at it. These were not just any seats. These were seats directly behind the catcher, facing the pitcher. And if we're running a little late, no worries. You see, we had seats with our name engraved in them. Of course, we didn't. But in effect, we kind of did, didn't we? We kind of did. They were our seats for the evening. They were reserved for us. And that is what the Lord is telling us. Only it's better than a baseball game. Far, far better. No, this inheritance is neither perishable nor transitory. But I have an obligation, as we conclude this morning, to remind us of certain things. The inheritance is promised only to those who obey God. If you have not yet been washed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, immersed in water, in a few moments in the singing of the invitation song, it is designed to encourage you to do the right thing, to become a child of God, become a member of His body. If you have already become a child of God, but have not continued to walk as you know you should, you can lose that inheritance if you think so little of it as not to keep it. You know, in Matthew, the 25th chapter, in regards to the one-talent man who hid his talent in the earth, what was said of him? Cast out the worthless slave into outer darkness. This next one, another one I love. Our names are written in the book of life prior to us getting there, if we're living faithfully. Philippians 4.3, Paul refers to some of his co-workers. The rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, said, Therefore we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. 
For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to men that day, not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. What about you this morning? Are you subject to our Lord's invitation? So won't you come now as together we stand to sing?